0: Freedom Stories, brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show.
1: Hi, I'm Johnny Tavener, and I'm the guest host today of Refuge Freedom Stories. I'd like to introduce you to a longtime friend of mine, Ken Craig, who I've known for over 30 years. How are you doing, Ken?
2: I'm very well, John.
1: That's great. I'm glad to hear that. So we're really happy to have you on our show today and as you probably know we discuss people's lives and how God has been a part of their life how they came to know Jesus and what Jesus has been doing lately in their lives and the things that have been you know growing in their hearts about what God wants them to do and things like that. So give me a little bit of your background.
2: Church. Well, uh, I was raised in a Christian family and my mom and dad were faithful church attenders, my sisters and I always thought that You know, I had things pretty much all lined up as far as my faith went. You know, I sang in the junior and senior choir and I was on the board of elders at the church and I thought things were were pretty well lined up as far as my relationship with Christ went. And then one night, I know that there were a number of people in our congregation who were kind of vexed because we had a Pentecostal guest speaker and part of the service, of course, he had the altar call. And here I am sitting there half asleep and bored out of my mind and something just about the invitation made me put my hand up and said, you know, there's something more to this and where i'm at so this godly gentleman came down and the first thing he wanted me to do of course was speak in tongues as a sign that the holy spirit had filled me up and i'm there sitting in this here i am uh, a little farm boy sitting in a rural church (laughs) with a a gentleman saying okay speak in tongues well i didn't have the faintest idea what he was talking about yeah Uh, so he he looked pretty sad when he left he said oh well never mind and away he went but i knew that there was something that happened in my life I, i knew it and i I bounced downstairs and I talked to a couple of people. I was really excited about my change because I just knew something had happened.
1: So when you were growing up, you grew up in a Christian home. And I know that a lot of people, you know, think to themselves, "Well, oh, you know, I live a good life and I never really do anything wrong. And, and maybe they think that they've grown up in a Christian home or a godly home or something like that. So did you find that a challenge to stepping out in faith to accept Christ into your heart? Or did you find that as like a building block to doing that?
2: I have frequently experienced those life-changing stories where the drug addict or the hardcore motorcycle rider or the heavy metal rock down and out person who has accepted Christ and they see and experience the difference and they know right away. I think that the hardest change for someone who is raised in a Christian family is to accept Christ and, you know, tomorrow their life is the same. They they know something is different, but they still are not addicted. They're not running around with, you know, the bad crowd. We We have these pictures in our mind what it looks like to have this great moral change. But when you don't have to go through the moral change, you have to understand that it's a spiritual change and not a moral change. Our morals aren't going to get us into heaven. Correct. It's our faith and our spirit that gets us that relationship with Christ. And I think that it's really difficult. It's really challenging. Uh, you know, and, and I wasn't a perfect kid, John. Come on, like that that's just craziness. But, you know, I didn't hang out with the wrong crowd. I didn't think. But, you know, there wasn't this drastic moral change that had to happen in my life. And, and I think it's a really challenging experience to understand that it's the spiritual change, not the moral change that is is the difference.
1: So along that line, then, so you recognized that you needed Christ in your heart and you made that decision to accept him as your savior. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about this spiritual change. So how did you tangibly experience that as part of your growth as a Christian? Because, as you said, like the moral compass didn't change because it was already aligned with God's Bible and and things like that. God's way of life. So you had a a change of heart, but how did you experience that spiritual change? Like, what did you see to help you recognize that, wow, I really have changed? Like, I've really done something here that's made me different.
2: Well, that's a really simple answer. I was excited like crazy for a week, and then I started to backslide. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. the simplest, <laughs> the simplest thing in the world. Yeah, <laughs> just you start to backslide. So you know, the the joy of my salvation was there for a week, ten days, two weeks, whatever it was, and then I sagged back into the moral compass of what I had before. The status you know? quo. Yeah, I just went back. There was this adrenaline rush, and then there was. Okay. It's over. Here I am. And I settled into a routine. So You know, I accepted Christ. I think I was, you know, 19 or 20 or something like that. Yeah. I went to Ag College, graduated, and I spent seven years at home as a bachelor. My mom and dad moved to King Carden, and I was happily living on the dairy farm, milking cows. My mom and dad were still very involved in the farming enterprise, and I just went along for seven years as a bachelor. Got married, raised a family, quite happy to be a dairy farmer went to church, board of elders, pray, read the Bible, life was good. But there were moments in that journey where compelling spiritual changes that way through my farming career, you know, i had been on the farm for 25 years, milking cows. And from time to time, way through milking, you know, it's two hours morning and night, you're just there by yourself, Mm-hmm. quiet nothing bothering you and you discover part way through that you've been preaching a sermon on uh, romans to the cow and and you say what? what are you doing like why are you tearing apart the scripture to a bunch of bovines like seriously so you'd
1: be saying and romans says this can i get a moo <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that's what it is. Like, it was just from time to time, you wouldn't even realize you were doing it. And all of a sudden, here you are deep in a, an expository sermon from Ephesians. And you're saying, what is this about? What's going on? And one night I came in from the barn and I said to my wife, I think I'm supposed to go back to school. And she said, oh, really? Cool. What What do you think you'd like to take? And I, I said, uh, well, I, <coughs> I think I'm supposed to <coughs> to go to Bible college. <laughs> and, you know, God bless her, she and my five grown children, well, they weren't all grown at that point. And they said, wow, dad, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And of course, you know, they had their own questions about, all right, if dad's a preacher, what does that mean we are? Yeah. yeah. So so there were some family dynamics that were interesting, but they're all very supportive. So I started Emmanuel Bible College in 2000. Near the end of my schooling, I had to do an internship. So I went to King Carden Baptist Church. Mm They had asked me to come as a guest speaker to tell my story about what this means—a dairy farmer going to Bible college. Right. And before I left the meeting, I had been accepted as an intern. Mm-hmm. And I asked them before my internship was done. I yeah, that was finishing in March of the next year, and I said, you know, I don't like pulling out partway through a Sunday school that I was teaching. Like, is it all right if I stay till like the end of June when school's done? And they said, sure. Really? why don't you stay on? And before that time elapsed, the pastor, my senior pastor, whose wife was a cancer survivor, um, she relapsed. And they said, hey, can you stay on to give the pastor a hand? Mm-hmm. And then the pastor, after another six months or so, said, hey, I'm going to retire. And they said, hey, can you stay on as an interim <laughs> pastor until we find the real minister? Yeah. And then they said, hey, can you stay on? And awesome. Like, no, it's not awesome. It's miraculous. <laughs> miraculous. Like, yeah. No, nobody gets to go to a church in their own town. Like, serious. How yeah, does that yeah. happen? That, like yeah. that that was just the hand of God opening doors and doors and doors. Like there's no other explanation.
1: It makes me think of two things. First off, when you said that you're in the barn and you're milking the cows and you're preaching to them and stuff like that. And the thought that struck me was that God says that his word never comes back void, you know? So you've had like throughout your life and after you committed your life to the Lord, like you had the word sewn into your heart and it was just waiting to kind of grow and grow into this undeniable desire to go into the ministry you know and put that passion in your heart for that i think that's kind of cool and you know about god opening doors again you know the bible says that god will open a door that no man can shut yeah right i think that's exactly what he's done
2: so it's been interesting to have mentors come along beside and you know i really appreciate the older pastors that went before to pave the way for we younger guys well, not that I'm young or anything, but, but uh, <laughs> you know, you, you listen to the wisdom of those men and women who have been in the ministry for a long time. They're so tuned into where the world is and they feel the pain and the angst and they can look at you and they read you like a book. And it's frightening. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. going to one of my uh, interviews and the one minister said, you like teaching? And I said, Not particularly. <laughs> and he said, Well, get used to it. You're going to be doing that a bit. And the thing mm-hmm. is, I love teaching children the Bible stories, you know, with, right. w- whether it's a flannel graph or a video or whatever it is. I, I love teaching little kids, just, just talking to kids about Jesus. I, yeah. And, you know, like only through the power of the Holy Spirit, I listen to a question that somebody asks. And I, I don't know where the answer comes from, but there's an answer there. And it's like, how did that hook together with the question before and the question that's coming next? And, and I got the thing in the middle that makes sense of it all. Yeah. Like, how, do, how does that work? Yeah. So I'm surprised and pleased and amazed by what the Holy Spirit does with this farm boy. I'll tell you, it doesn't make sense. If you try try and explain it logically, it just doesn't work.
1: Well, don't you find that's true about essentially everybody that comes to Christ and puts them in places where they never thought they would be? You know, he says he he takes the the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, right? And then small things to do big things for him. And it's just the way he is. I certainly don't understand God's ways you know, so I can well imagine the world looking in at us thinking like, what's going on there? Like, how did that ever happen?
2: So the challenge that I face mostly in the ministry is I want to run way ahead of God. I want to just show him what needs to be done. And if you just take care of that, then things will be all fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I have, uh, and how's that I,
1: working for you?
2: <laughs> well, as I get older, I run really slow now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, you know, I'm so joyful that the Holy Spirit has... Portion gifts to us for our use in the church to build the body of Christ.
0: It's Mm -hmm. fabulous.
2: And you read that time and time again in the scripture. And my challenge frequently is to have Christians know and understand and believe that they have this fabulous gift, Mm -hmm. that at the right time, in the right place, The gift or gifts that they have been given will be used in a way to glorify God. And too often people are unaware or unwilling to use the gift that they've been given or the gifts that they've
1: been given. I was in a conversation with our uh, small group last night, and we were talking similarly along those lines where, you know, the experiences that each and every person go through, prepare them for things that God wants them to do. Because there are things that, that you've gone through in life that I've never gone through in life and things that I've gone through in life that you've never gone through in life. And yet, if God puts us in the path of somebody that has or is experiencing similar things, he can use our past experience to encourage them, to point them towards god to help them get free of those things wherever they might be right and so i think that you're right christians tend to forget about those past things because they say well that's that's the old me well that is yes the old person but god allowed all those things for a reason whether it was our own stubbornness or whatever it might be you know i always tell people that are part of this show your story is unique and there's somebody out there that needs to hear your story and i think it's like that for everybody in the body of christ Like everybody comes to Christ with baggage, small little carry on baggage or great big suitcases of baggage. Right. But everybody comes with baggage. And God's in the business of taking care of all of that.
2: Have you been to an airport lately? No. You notice anymore that people don't carry their baggage. They wheel it along. It is very late, yeah. quick to, to push around, and it, there's no weight at all. If we were forced to carry our baggage, if we felt the weight of it, yeah. instead of enjoy the convenience of those rascally little wheels, we might understand better. But one of the things, when I was still the interim pastor, there was you know time to do things. And one of the opportunities that rose was to be the spiritual care provider at our local hospital some people call it the chaplain as a result of my 12 years it's not unusual for me to do 30 or 40 funerals a year Mm -hmm. it seems dark and ominous but i have had more opportunity to share my faith with families now now you have to be really careful people are in a vulnerable spot frequently in the conversation you know they ask me how do you get through this how do you do this why are you not weeping you know there's a contentment and a satisfaction that God is faithful and in the midst of you know this ending experience on earth he's opening up the door for an eternal experience and I'm not the judge of who goes to heaven and who doesn't but there's a lot of questions asked I I didn't know that I'd bury all my old farm neighbors I didn't know that I would bury babies and teenagers and you know it's frightfully challenging and wonderfully satisfying and you, you know I never knew that I would do that you know I often think that when I was growing up on the farm my dad always said as long as there's livestock there'll be dead stock
1: yeah true enough it's,
2: that's the way it goes on the farm so you know I love my dogs but when my dog dies I'm sorry. It was just a dog. When a cow dies, it was just a cow. You know, I'm, I'm not comparing people to animals in that regard. But you know, everything and every person and every breathing body has an expiry date. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. And you know, when I have that opportunity, when somebody says, you know, would Jesus love me even now? Boy, those are great conversations at a bedside,
1: I'll tell you. Absolutely. They are because nobody can escape death, right?
2: No, every one of us gets to face that.
1: So we brushed a little bit on like the turmoil in in people's lives. And obviously the world around us has changed so much. As you said, airports are different now and things like that. What kind of advice would you offer people that would be sensing that weight of the situation around us, you know, with COVID and all that kind of stuff? I'm sure you've had those conversations many times uh, over the past couple of years, but you know, if you could concisely put that into a short paragraph or something like that, what would you say to somebody that would say to you, if they could, if they were sitting here instead of me, you know, like I'm finding it really hard. I don't know where to turn. Like I know about church, but I don't really want to go there. What could you point them toward? I know you're going to point them towards God, but I mean, what would you consider offering them as their first step to start that journey? Because the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step, right? One
2: step, absolutely. The challenge that we face as we discuss all sorts of issues these days is that we are very firmly entrenched in the spot we're in. And too often, you know, if you're not standing in the same spot as me, I'll just shout at you until you change your your position, your your (laughs) mindset. And I think what people need to do both as, as sharers and proclaimers of the gospel, and also as hearers of the gospel, is to make themselves willing and available to hear a story from a different perspective than their own. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all sorts of examples, whether it's a family that doesn't have time to go to church, or, you know, take that, well, instead of chastising them for not coming to church, you know, go take their kids to the park for the afternoon. You know, there are so many ways that we can proclaim Jesus without forcing people to get on their knees and say the sinner's prayer. Yeah. So So many ways that we can demonstrate that Jesus loves us and God sent his son for us and the Holy Spirit, you know, loves us just as much as Jesus and God does. I have discovered that there is no one pat answer amongst other things. Everybody you talk to, just as you have commented, has their own unique experience. And, you know, it's infrequent when you just get to say, okay, say the sinner's prayer with me. You, you got to listen. You got to hear their story and you got to love them where mm-hmm. they're at. And it sounds so cliche, but it is, it is such the truth. And I was actually thinking this afternoon, I was driving around and there are two models the churches use used to share the gospel. One is the shotgun method where they just keep blasting out in the air, hoping that the gospel lands on somebody. Mm-hmm. And then the other way I said to myself, you know, if I'm near retirement age, the best thing that I could likely do is to take a grandson or a friend of a grandson and say, hey, come with me. Let's go do some fun stuff. Not not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and the next month and the next year. Mm-hmm. And then after that, maybe they could get one of their friends and they could share it. So rather than just hoping the gospel lands on somebody, be intentional and raise one disciple well, and maybe they will raise two disciples and then those two will raise two more. Mm -hmm. That's the way that the church will continue to prosper.
1: I had a conversation with a guy just earlier this week, via email back and forth and, you know, he knows about our faith and things like that. And he said, you know, and I appreciate our conversations. He says, but I'm going to find my own way. And I, I don't want you to try and quote unquote, save me. And I wrote back to him and I said, you know, nobody's trying to save you. All we're trying to do is live out our lives the way Jesus wants us to live them out and just express Christ to everybody around us. You know, I think there's a time and a place for evangelism, but people need to tangibly see Jesus in our lives. You know, the church has been raft with hypocrisy over the years and all kinds of big deal falls from grace and things like that. And that hasn't helped. But yet God still finds a way to touch people's lives and hearts just through each and every person who wants to be like Jesus. And I think that's so, so important. I think you're right on the money there.
2: The other challenging aspect of what you just said is, as a pastor, I think it's my job to save everybody. But it's not. (laughs) I'm not supposed to save anybody. I can't save anybody. That's All I can do is tell them about the one who can, and you have to leave it at that. And God, if you would just like to save these 50 people that are standing here, I can wait for you, but it never works like that. We had this excellent discussion the other night about the Lord's Prayer, and in particular the, the second line, where it says, "Hallowed be Thy name." Now, God's name is many. It's Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Shama. Jehovah Nissi, there's lots of names that describe God's character. And God draws people to himself as we, the body of Christ, hallow his name. So when there is an opportunity to hallow Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Victor, you know, Victor over addiction or Victor over crime, whatever, people are drawn to God because we, the church, hallow God's name. When he heals us and we hallow his name for that healing, people are drawn to God because we hallow his name. So our demonstrations of the times when God has been active and intervenes and obvious in our life, like we really have to take advantage and hallow those names and those times to draw people to God.
1: Yes, I agree 100%. So just to wrap things up, if you were going to leave our audience with one thing for them to ponder about God, what would you say to them?
2: That is a great question, John. And the answer is this. In my conversations, particularly as a spiritual care provider at the hospital, I will go in and introduce myself and they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe in God right on. And then they will proceed to tell me who they believe God is. And mm-hmm. it is remarkably different from who I think God is. Mm-hmm. And my question, my, my pondering thing is, where did you learn who God is? Who told you who God is? If we actually begin a search, you know, through biblical sacred texts about who God is, we discover that he is far different than what we ever imagined. So my question for people is, who is God, really? And we all think that we're brilliant road scholars, but none of us have a good grasp on who God is. So don't ever stop looking for him or don't ever be satisfied with who you believe who God is. God will continue to reveal himself if you just ask.
1: Now, that's a great point, that journey again towards him. Because those who seek him and search for him with all their heart will find him. Right on. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, Ken. It's been a pleasure sharing this time with you. And I always enjoy our conversations together. And I hope that you will consider coming back in the
2: future. As my journey continues, I will.
1: All right. That's great. Thanks very much. God bless.
0: I want Jesus half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.